Hello and welcome to Smart Businesses Do This. And boy, do we have a very special edition for you today. I'm joined by my good friend, Alex Scharfen. What's up, Alex? You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Good to be here, Adam. Okay. I want you guys to just think for a moment and go back in time to 2008. And I want you to remember the recession that rocked the world, destroyed the Greek economy, affected absolutely countless people, ended up with uh, an almost 30% unemployment rate in America, if I remember correctly. It was terrible. And today... In 2023, there are rumors. Is the, uh, the, the, the housing problem in Canada going to cause a recession that knocks on into America? Are we heading to a recession? What's going on? The reason we're going to be discussing this today is because when America was in a recession, one of the people that worked with the government directly to turn America around and fix the recession was this gentleman here by the name of Alex Schaffen. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate you having me, man. Can it's a we, great setup. Thank, thank you. <laughs> Can we talk just for a minute back at 2008? How did how did you become the guy that was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna fix America? I wish that was like a really cool story, but uh, it was actually 2007 for us. So my wife and I lived in South Florida. We did business in Dade, Broward, and Palm Beach counties, and we had um, several real estate companies. We had a real estate acquisition firm. We had a property management company. Um, my wife was a real estate agent, and we bought more homes than anybody else in South Florida. Between like 2004 and 2007, we were the the top home buyers. And 2007 hit. The rest of the world remembers 2008, but in Florida, the wheels fell off in 2007. Um, we we woke up probably around the beginning of the year and sales started to slow down. And then it was like, slow down, slow down, fall off a cliff. It was crazy, Adam. Like sales went down by about 80% overnight within one month. And all of our income, all of our revenue was dependent on real estate. And in the prior two years, there had been two major hurricanes that had hit South Florida, Katrina and Wilma. And so we had a huge real estate portfolio, not huge. We had a substantial real estate portfolio for, for two individuals. And we were managing somewhere around 40 or 50 different claims. And so we'd already spent a million dollars on insurance claims and on deductibles and all that stuff. And then we had this massive slowdown and it just completely annihilated us. You know, all of our income, all of our revenue was from real estate. It stopped. And so we ended up having to go bankrupt and we lost everything. And it was incredibly frustrating for me, you know. I can remember at some point, like late 2006, early 2007, my mom asked me, um, hey, do you think you guys need to diversify? You're doing everything in real estate. And I'm like, mom, we are diversified. We have houses, condos, townhouses, duplexes, triplexes. I wasn't kidding. Like, I, I feel like a fool now for saying that. Like, my mom kind of saw what was coming before I did. And... um I remember telling her if we were going to get, if we were going to have a problem, it would be front page news. You know, I'm like, mom, our, our entire portfolio is like 60% loan to value. We have massive equity, you know, millions and millions of dollars in equity. There's no way we can get damaged by this. And dude, we actually had properties that lost 90% of their value. 
we had condos in in a in a uh, complex called Stonebridge Gardens, Florida. In I think it was in Fort Lauderdale, and we had condos that were worth one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, one hundred and sixty to one hundred and eighty, and the the one that sold at the least value was fifteen thousand five hundred dollars. So it just was was crushing, and so I wanted to understand what happened. I was frustrated, I was angry, I was. Um, I felt like I was totally caught off guard. And so I started doing research on what was going on in the real estate market. And just to give you some insight, I also had a mortgage broker's license. And only for the reason of when we were selling a house, if somebody's loan fell through, I wanted to see what was going on. And Adam, for the previous like three years, loan packages were getting weirder and weirder. There was, first it was like, you know, you don't really have to show income. Then it was, you don't have to show a job. Then it was, we had these things called ninja loans. It was no income, no assets, no job. And you could qualify anybody for a loan. And so I was already watching like how weird the real estate market had gotten. And when we got hit, I started looking at like, okay, what type of mortgages had been issued? And one of the reset dates on all these variable mortgage mortgages and even worse when have all these mortgages been issued that had reverse amortization i don't know if you remember that but your loan value went up when you made your minimum payment so every month you owed more on your house and so there was this this like very intense financial condition that nobody else was looking at it was the weirdest experience for me adam you know i i don't i don't have a degree i'm not a finance major i'm you know I, I just started looking at numbers and I'm good at consolidating information. And what I saw was that we were probably in a seven to 10 year crisis, if not more, because all these mortgages had been issued. They were going to have to be processed. We had to go through them. People were going to lose their homes. And so starting in 2008, I was saying like, listen, millions of people are going to lose their homes. This is going to be a massive financial collapse. And the National Association of Realtors was saying we were in a dip. The government was saying it was a temporary adjustment. I was seeing the opposite. And so I started publishing and sharing that information. I started publishing the data that I had and the information that I had. And uh, at the beginning, it was very challenging. I was called Chicken Little. I was told I was crazy. Um, we had people call our office and yell at us, telling us that we were trying to destroy the real estate market. We even got a couple death threats. Like, it got weird. And what ended up happening was by, by end of 2008, beginning of 2009, people started listening. And people started asking for our data. And my wife and I um, wrote a product called the Certified Distressed Property Expert Designation, where we trained real estate agents in how to handle distressed properties. And 2008, I think we had 500 members. No, 2008, we had about 1,500 members. 2009, I think it went up to about 7,000 members. And by the time the crisis was over, we had the largest designation in the history of real estate. 49,500 people had bought it. 47,800 had become CDPEs. It still exists now. Somebody else owns it. We, we, my wife and I are still involved. We'll be involved forever, but somebody else runs it. And um, one of the most interesting that happened, things that happened during that time frame was I was speaking with our data on how long the crisis was going to take, especially with the adjustments that we were making and the improvements we were making. And there was an event where the person who opened was the chief economist for the National Association of Realtors. The second speaker was the chief econo one of the chief economists for the government. I was the third speaker. When I was done, they asked me for my data. And so here's the National Association of Realtors and the government, and they're not looking, they're not parsing the data in a way to really see what was going on. So it was a really intense, pretty crazy time. This is wild. And everyone here, like, like please pay attention to this, because like 
This is somebody that was telling everyone before it happened that it happened um, and that they ignored you and hated on you and then went, wait, can, can I get help? This reminds me of the, uh, the person that identified that um, 9-11 was going to happen beforehand. And they warned everyone, we need an evacuation plan for the World Trade Center. Like, we have to have one. Um, and everyone was like, you're ridiculous, never going to happen, blah, 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 blah. And then, of course, when it happened, that was the first person they called, what do we do? Yeah. Um, and so it, it's so important, I, I think, in general in life, not to allow cognitive bias to stop you being open to new ideas. Um, and I remember, you know, even when Flat Earth came out, I was like, there's no way that Earth is flat. But I was like, but I'm going to listen to their argument, you know, hopefully to confirm that it isn't flat. Um, but also, like, you know, I, I, yeah, I like challenging my cognitive bias. You know, I, sure. I was like, okay, well, what if it's flat? You know, what if it was? Like, I, I, I like thinking that through. But it's the same thing. I like to be someone that thinks, okay, well, what if? What, like, I'm going to prep for the thing I think is 90% accurate. But I am going to look at the 10% and take a moment and think, what if? Uh, which I love that, you know, eventually people did come around and do that. How did you help fix it? Beyond, uh, was it just giving the data or was that more? No, no, no. There's a lot more to it. So um, first, I want to point out, like I had massive cognitive bias for positivity in the real estate market. It was my entire life. So I failed there, you know, and I will not fail again in in, in my life. Like Katie and I um, started investing in Austin real estate again around 2011. We built a substantial portfolio. We are liquidating all of it right now because the same conditions, not not the same, there's similar conditions in the real estate market today to what we saw in 2007, Which is 2008. Feeling this yeah, you can see it. You can see it coming. But by the way, there are still people that I talk to, like people you and I know, people who are highly intelligent, who I'll say like, hey, what do you think about the coming crisis? And they'll say, nah, I don't see it. Yeah, there's, there's actually a really well-known speaker and I were just in another event and I asked him and he said, there's no possible way we have a crisis. And I'm like, man, first, Real estate crisis, real estate cycles are cyclical. It's like a 14 to 16 year cycle. And so we are back in that place where we're seeing the beginnings of another, what I think is going to be a major adjustment. So, but you asked the question, how did we fix it? We wrote a designation where we showed real estate agents how to work with homeowners who were going through foreclosure to avoid the foreclosure itself. Because when there's a foreclosure on a house, the effect in the local economy is massive. The, the, value of the property goes down, the, the people who live there no longer have revenue, the, everybody who was involved with that property no longer has revenue. And so we were working directly with real estate agents. Over time, we ended up working with every major brokerage, uh, most major title companies, uh, most major lenders, and the eventuality was we worked directly with the U.S. Treasury. So we were working with Director Lockhart and his team. I was at a, a round table one time, not round tables, like a big U, yeah. but it was called the round table. And I walked in and I see Secretary Lockhart, Alex Sharfin. So I'm sitting right next to Director Lockhart in this room full of people who were so much more qualified than I was, Adam. And it was shocking because there wasn't really even an understanding of what was going on. And we, you know, during that period of time, I did some lobbying. I, I, I met with some people who were in the government. Um, I worked directly with the FHFA. That was the FHFA actually came to our office in 2013 and on video said that the work that we did with the lenders, with the the brokers, with with you know all the different groups that we worked with pulled forward the foreclosure recovery by three to five years. But we shouldn't have been able to do that. Like when when we went to Washington and we talked to people, Adam, there wasn't even a recognition of what a mortgage was, and really an understanding of the real estate market in general. When you look at the U.S. economy. 
real estate is the backbone of the U.S. economy. Every home that's sold has this trickle-down effect of all this revenue that you know contractors make, realtors make, uh, uh, mortgage brokers, title companies. And so when that slows down, there's this massive contraction that happens. And we're seeing the early stages of that now. I think there's some hidden issues in the real estate market today um, that people aren't seeing. I think there's some, some, I think just the economic condition of having homes be at the highest value they've ever been, but interest rates going up. So now people can't buy entry level homes. That in and of itself could cause a crisis. And and that's just one thing. There's probably 10 or 11 different things that could take us down at this point. This is amazing and worth everyone hearing because um, I agree with you. There's no way there isn't a crisis coming. Um, I think where I differ from other people is when. Yeah. Um, I believe, personally, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. And I think you're going to get to see cognitive bias at work. I believe between 2027 and 2030 is when it will happen. But I believe that between now and then is a, a long slowdown. I would love to hear when you think it. Man, you know, I always tell people my crystal ball gro- broke in 2007 when I was sitting in bankruptcy court, you know? So I try to be careful about making predictions. But here's, here's the scenario that we have in real estate today that I think a lot of people aren't looking at all the inputs and, um, and understanding just how challenging this is. So one is we have interest rates that have gone up that makes the minimum purchase price for a home unavailable to about 70% of home purchasers. That's massive. So right now, entry-level homes are going to have a hard time being purchased. We also have a condition where um, the homes that have been sold have been sold at an increased value. And so when you constantly chase up value, you constantly chase up the bottom of the market, and there's just not, there's not a connection there anymore. One of the really challenging things that I'm seeing that not, not a lot of people are paying attention to is that the cost of a new home and the cost of an existing home are almost the same right now. I'm going to say that again. The cost of a new home and the cost of an existing home are the same. That's crazy. Well, here's why that happens. When realtors ha- or sorry, when builders have too much inventory in homes, they lower the price. And so builders have been lowering the price, really not with big announcements or, hey, we're lowering yeah. prices. But prices on new homes have come down to now they're almost parallel with used homes. And so when you have a condition like that, what it indicates is the builders are having a hard time selling homes. And one of the things I believe that is not really being discussed a lot right now is I think there's way more builder inventory than we're seeing on the market. You can see it here in Austin. If you go and look at certain communities here in Austin, like Austin has exploded over the past couple of years. Sure. If you go look at certain communities, you can go pull into them, drive in, and see that there are 30 or 40 homes sitting there vacant, ready to be sold. If you go on the MLS, there's four or five. So builders are not putting inventory out there well, because need. if you go 100%. If you have 200 units and 150 of them are the same and 30 are available, you only put one up. Yeah. There's no need to put the others. Well, and... A lot of times they don't want to put the others on the market because when they say this is a finished home, there's a clock that starts with with their financing, with everything else that they're doing, uh, with the health of that company. And right now, builder stocks are pretty high. And if builders start like admitting that there's a slowdown here, we're going to see some some challenging things happen with builders. So as far as time frame, I think we could be looking at any time from in the next 12 months to the next two or three years. It all really depends on what artificial stimulus is put into the market. Yeah, yeah, and I, I love this. So um, I, I love looking at, uh, again, all the different factors that impact like the economy. So for me, yes, I agree with everything you've said. The things that tend to stop or delay 
a collapse uh a election which we have history yeah so that will typically give us 12 months so i that's why i don't believe it will be in the next 12 months that's my argument for that um the next thing is a war a war will typically trigger and also offset so you'll have an instant dip that lasts a short period of time and then you swing up the other side because it uh, promotes use of bullets and all sorts of other things so the industries move yeah i mean if if real estate's the backbone of the united states the the defense industry is the nervous system like it's there's right. so much money that goes into defense and so a lot of that's being stimulated right now by the multiple wars that we're fighting right exactly which which is uh you know the reason those wars were happening at the same time during this really unique time is a different discussion for another time um but the point being that that definitely stimulates coming and the other one is a new emergence of a technology that changes the way things work which we are seeing with ai now i always thought it would be nanotechnology or teleportation but that's i'm a sci-fi nerd um i I don't know why i didn't predict ai i'm not a good futurist Um, but ai is one of those technologies that has the capability of stopping a financial collapse um because all the because what can happen is you get this new group of people that make money that didn't have money coming in before and there are new things to buy and that can that can stimulate it as well so i'm not saying there won't be a, a course correct um i i believe i, I don't think it'll fix it because i think we do have to have the dip i just think the combination of those things gives us to uh 2027 to, to 2030 i have said for the last 20 years there'll be collapse in 2030 and my entire belief in this was the 1930 collapse of uh of wall street and the reason for this is financial trading is psychological based and some of my clients are stock traders and i have known for years that they have all said they're going to take off that day of work (laughs) because of of uh, luck just purely because of luck they're like in 2030 i'm taking that day off and you know what happens when a lot of people do not go to work on the same day. Well, a lot of traders. Nothing gets traded. traded. You get a financial collapse. Yeah. And I've I've been hearing this for years. My financial trading clients like, yep, I'm going on vacation that week. Because they know that they're all going to have this uh, psychological fear on that day. But again, if AI is now already doing 25% of the trading, are we looking at a scenario where there'll be AI traders over that weekend and, and there won't be a change? So... It is fascinating, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on, because of everyone I know, you are the most experienced to understanding what happened in the most recent collapse. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're probably the the, the biggest uh, canary in the mind of when the next one's going to be. So, um, yes, yeah, so I think this is absolutely huge. But you'd agree, we're not in it, but we're moving to it. Yeah, I think, you know, Adam, when when... When we recognize a recession, it's always in retrospect. You know, we usually say, oh, we've been in a recession for six months or we've been in a slowdown for six months because as economic data is reported, then we understand what's been happening. And so I, I, when, when pe- I, I get asked all the time, are we in it? I think we're in the early stages in certain parts of the country. Like, let's just take Austin. You know, Austin is is this like runaway market. I've lived here since 2009. I got here. I, oh, really? That's so funny. So we got here before it was cool. Yeah. Right. We started the trend. And if you look at, you know, living here since 2009, it's just been increasing and increasing and increasing. I mean, my wife and I bought houses for 
70,000 to 130,000 dollars in 2011 we're selling those houses for three to $500,000. Like that's how much Austin has exploded. When you look at just this market, we've already experienced a slowdown in pricing, a, a reduction of about 10 to 12%. That's massive. You know, we, we don't, we look at 10 to 12%, we say, oh, it's a minor adjustment. But if you take that 10 to 12%, you multiply it times the total real estate sold in Austin, we're talking massive numbers. Then you extend that further and say, okay, so this 12, 10 to 12% reduction what does that do to title fees? What does that do to mortgage fees? What does that do to realtor commissions? All the 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 trailing economic condition around or economic uh, impact of selling a home. So for me, we decided to start liquidating properties about a year and a half ago. We've got the last few that we're putting on the market now because the risk is too great. And I I I don't I, I don't have the confidence that we couldn't have some type of a tripwire event that takes things down. Yeah, it wouldn't take much. It really wouldn't take much. It would take a couple builders. Like, if if word gets out that builders are holding inventory they can't sell, that could trip up the entire real estate market. If there's more attention paid to the fact that new homes are the same cost as as used homes, that could take down the real estate market. Uh, there's a few lenders that are tightening their strings a little bit and not not lending as much. That could take down the real estate market. And when and and for me, I think. You have to look at the the reality that when homes come down 10%, that means everybody who's bought a home in the past two or three years can't sell their house. Yeah. They're they're stuck. You know, they're in a negative negative equity position. And so we have a significant negative equity position here in Austin. And we haven't had that really until it, unless you go back to the last crisis. And it's not just Austin. This is happening in places in California. It's happening in places in the Northeast. So I think we're already starting to see the slowdown and the beginnings of what could be the next big issue. I think it's a key point that me and my wife were looking at buying a home in Bastrop um, maybe six months ago that was 1.3 million, I think they listed it. And uh, we offered 1.1 and we were laughed at. And they were like, no way, we're going to get 1.3, you know, screw you guys. Um, and it's now still on the market at like 800. Yeah. Um, so... At seven hundred and eighty, um, so, uh, but yeah, and 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 you would think that we would contact them and say, hey, now it's so cheap, we're going to buy it. But no, we have pride; they have to come to us. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you know, Adam, I don't know if I don't know if that's a that's a deal you want to make right now. And that's it. Yeah, we don't. You know, to. like that's. Yeah. But but we're seeing that. So my wife is pretty obsessed with the real estate market, both because we have holdings in real estate, because we're always looking at real estate. And if you look at the past few years, you never saw price reductions in the Austin market. If yeah. there was a price reduction, it was kind of shocking. It's like, oh, what's wrong with that house? They must have had a problem. There must be mold it, or a flood. Shows. Right. And it would go. You look at at Austin or Dripping or Bastrop or any of the surrounding areas right now, just go to Realtor.com and pull it up and you will see almost every home is at a price reduction. And so when we're seeing that that reduction, you start chasing the market down. I didn't realize it was that dramatic. Like to go from 1.3 to 780, we're talking like 40, 50% of the, the value of a property. Holy Christ, seeing it in this area, we're seeing it everywhere. And this is an up and coming area where Starlink and Tesla just moved in. 100%. So if, if you've got major companies moving in, bringing jobs, bringing population, and the prices are reducing that much, that... Absolutely. That tells you everything. Tells you everything. Tells you everything. Yeah. You know, and, and again, in Austin, we've had like this, like we're, we're, we're kind of like this golden city because Tesla, Google, Apple, Facebook, like how many different organizations have no hundred yet? Yeah, well, 
Well, Dell was here, I know, and Dell continues to expand. Everyone forgets that Dell did. Well, yeah. but I'm I'm saying who's built here. Oh yeah, you know, like yeah. Apple, Facebook, Google, Tesla, um, SpaceX. Look at how much has come in to this direct area where they brought offices or um, decision making centers, high paid workers, high paid like hundreds and thousands for some of these. And so with all this influx of people coming in, and you still see values going down, that is a real indication that there's an issue. Which state in America, if Florida dropped first last that time, yeah. Which state do you think is most likely to drop first this? I, I know this is a you know I again try not to have a crystal ball, That's but good. but I think we need to look at the areas where real estate has been run up the fastest and the hardest, and unfortunately, like Austin is one of those places. Greater Texas isn't necessarily one of those places, but definitely Austin. If if we have to look at states, I think. You're gonna you're gonna see where values have gone up the highest. That's where these things are going to start. So Texas, California, some areas of the Northeast. It could even be Florida again. You know, Florida is a very transient community, and last time there was even a hiccup in values, everybody bailed, and so we might see that same thing happening again. This is crazy. I, I dude, thank you so much for sharing this, by the way. Um, what are you working on nowadays beyond getting rid of your own portfolio and preparing for <laughs> for the end of the universe? Uh, well, you know, I, I, uh, I wrote a book called the entrepreneurial personality type mm -hmm. and, um, I'm working on this, this sequel to that book, kind of an update and doing a lot of research around it. It's a, it's kind of a, a passion of mine and, um, that's about it. I love that. That's awesome. Uh, people want to find out more about you and maybe, uh, you know, well, I do a podcast called Momentum for the Entrepreneurial Personality Type. Um, it's in the top 1% or half percent of podcasts worldwide. You can go to MomentumPodcast.com and check it out. And then if anybody wants to read the Entrepreneurial Personality Type book, which we didn't talk about. Which which you should go and check out. <laughs> Just If you thought this guy was interesting, go and get his book on Amazon. You can go to free EPT book and get the ebook for free, and you can buy it on Amazon if you want. Go to freeeptbook.com. There you go. Um, yeah, we have a question. Do you want to come up to the microphone? Hey, Jenny, can you turn on the the mic for Lloyd? It's Mike Sills. I think it's number six. You should, when Lloyd speaks, you'll be able to tell. Uh, can you hear me? Cool. Uh, so, I mean, you said a lot of stuff, but a lot of doom and gloom here in Austin. So, <laughs> sorry about that. I mean, I'm I'm a homeowner right now. So, like, same here. And I I bought my home about a year and about two years ago. Around the time that you started liquidating all your stuff, are you saying that I should just liquidate my stuff and cut my losses? Like, what are you saying? Uh, I, I would have to see your numbers to understand, Lloyd. But do you see this frustration that you feel right now? Like the irritation and like the an instability that you feel? Well, this is, this is the reflection I got all 2007 and 2008. Yeah. You know, like I was the one saying, hey, guys, there's a problem and people get really frustrated. I understand the frustration. If, 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 you, if you give somebody a problem but no solutions, that's why... That's where the frustration comes because I have a lot of stake in this. So, like, what am I supposed to do with the information that you've given me? I think it's very interesting. I really enjoyed it, but like, what am I going to do? I just so walk like, away. When it comes to real estate, you have to look at individual transactions to understand what to do. So, if you bought your house in the last year and a half and there's equity in it and you can pull that equity out before what happens happens, that might be something you want to look at. Okay. If you're going to live here for the next five to seven years or stay in that property for the next decade, the, the market will probably correct by the time you want to get out of that property. So it, I, I, don't, I don't like to give blanket advice without really understanding exactly the situation that somebody's in. 
for between 2007 and 2013 or 14, I probably helped, I don't know, five, six, 7,000 people avoid foreclosure sure. and, and have a disposition to their home. But every single time I would look at the numbers first, because it's really, it's your individual situation. You might have equity in the home and then that might be a good idea to sell. You might not have equity in the home and then you have to look and say, do I want to pay to sell this house or can I stay here for the next five to 10 years? It's really looking at exactly what your situation is and then determining the best route for you. Okay. I think one of the biggest issues with a challenge like this is when there's an expert that gives blanket advice to everybody. Like I've seen experts do that where they say, hey, now's the time to sell your house. And I'll look at it and think, how, how the hell do you know? You know, like, what if that person is like, this is my forever house. I'm going to be here for yeah. 15 years. Why would you ever sell it if you're going to be there for 15 years? I own my house outright. So I don't really have a big risk in holding my house. Yeah. Especially if I can live there for the next five to 10 years. Or if I want to live there for the next five to 10 years, by that time, we might be through the crisis and back up again. Yeah. I'm just seeing like, they're building a lot of homes around me. And Tons. like, they got a new lot that the whole thing is getting yeah. like, $500,000 homes. And I'm just thinking like, who are they going to fill them with? You know, like, well, in our, in this area, because he's in Bastro, in this area specifically, they're, pro they're building because of SpaceX, Starlink, Tesla, but okay. things aren't selling. They're, they're not selling. They're building, they're building on a hope, you know, but, but, yeah. and when I say that yeah. there's what, what I, what I, I truly believe there's an issue in the builder market, a massive issue in the builder market. Yeah. You know, I, I, we, we are saying that we have a lack of inventory, but I think what's really happening is we have a lack of advertised or a lack of claimed inventory. We have a ton of, and, and here's, here's like a rule with the builder market, not a rule. Here's, here's the way the builders do it. They can build a home all the way until having tile and carpet and it's an unfinished product until somebody buys it. So there's a ton of homes out there just waiting for somebody to come in and make the selections. And so it's, it's inventory that's not on the market, but it's inventory that's there and available. Okay. Yeah. It, just like I've got a bunch of real estate. Definitely case by case. Yeah. 100%. For me, if you've got equity in the home, it's a buffer against a drop because it drops back down to what you bought it back and then goes back up again, right? So as long as you're putting it over time, hopefully, right? Yeah. And then over time, it's usually okay. So if you look historically at Texas, over time, it tends to be okay. Historically, the whole country's okay. Like, let's, yeah. let's be very clear about real estate. When you look at real estate as an asset class, from the, the beginning of recorded information that we have on real estate, it has gone up. Yep. And there has been very few times, actually, there's, it, it's like only moments in time where overall real estate value has gone down. One of the most significant times where that happened was 2007, to, or sorry, 2008, 2009, 2010. We did see a massive reduction in value. There was a similar reduction in value in the early 80s when interest rates went to 18% on real estate. We had new homes that were getting destroyed, like literally builders were destroying new homes so they didn't have to claim them and taking, you know, partially built product off the market completely. So we, we've had times where real estate value goes down. It's an asset class that if you're willing to hold it for an extended period of time, history says it has always gone up. Right. Now, this, we'll, we'll see what happens with this next crisis. You know, we've, we've had a real estate market that has been buffeted really since about 2010 by artificially low interest rates. And artificially low interest rates artificially inflate the, the value of properties. Let me, let me explain why. If I can get a 3% interest rate or a 2.5% interest rate, which by the way, those things were out there. Yeah. At 2.5%- That's the interest rate that I have in, on my own currently. Okay, so, so you might be in a position where it makes sense to hold your house just because the payments are so cheap, right? Mm -hmm. That's why I say I want to look at specific information. But if you bought a house at 2.5%, 
And now mortgage rates are, what are they, six, seven? I think some people are even eight. getting quoted eight. Yeah. That person's payment is going to be more than double yours. So for somebody to come and buy your house, they have to make double what you were making. They have to have an income of double what you were making and without the value of your property changing. So in the United States, we have not had incomes go up at anywhere near that percentage. It's like single digit income increases in the United States, if that. And so when we look at it, we now have an asset class that has been artificially inflated by the payment plan and that payment plan is no longer available. And so it's going to be hard to find people to buy those homes. Now, on that same token, like, let me give you some hope here. If you have a house that's worth X number of dollars, but your interest rate is two and a half percent, you're actually paying way less for that house over time than somebody who's at seven or eight percent. You know, you buy, a, a, and I'll just use like example numbers, you buy a $200,000 house on a 30 year mortgage, you might pay close to a million dollars for that house at an eight or nine percent interest rate. I'm, I'm, probably not right on these numbers. I'm just using it as an example. If you buy that same house with a two and a half percent interest rate, you might only pay six or $700,000 over time. Mm -hmm. So really it's about putting the numbers down on paper and understanding exactly where you are. And, and this is, you know, cause obviously we know we bought at the same time. Yeah. The reason we said, Hey, now's a good time to buy. It was because the interest rates were low. Yeah. Yeah. We knew that that we were taking advantage of jumping in right then. So if you remember when I spoke to you, I was like, dude, this is why we're doing it right now. Yeah. And yeah. I said it, you know, at the time we spoke about it, I was like, I would not wait a year or two. I was like, I would do it right now. Yeah. The interest rates were so good. So yeah. if you can sit, sitting is the right. Anytime there's a crisis, sitting is the ideal solution. Okay. You sit, you enjoy the low interest rate. You let everyone else that's on the high interest rate collapse. And then at the end of it, your house shoots up in value along with everyone else. You're still on the lower interest rate. And now your, your equity gain is huge. You can also sell a property like that with a wrap mortgage where... You sell it to somebody else, you keep your mortgage in place, and then they pay a mortgage to you at a higher interest rate, and you make the, the difference on a monthly payment. Okay. There's some legality there. You need to look at it and make sure that you do it right. Okay. But there's there's definitely options. If you got in at 2.5%, you have a massive advantage against anyone trying to buy something right now. Okay. I think it was more around 3 but it was- yeah, still, I mean, yeah. still. Dude, 3% interest rates on houses are, it's it, it it's crazy. When you look at the entire history of the real estate market, a really amazing interest rate was around 6%. Okay. The fact that we were at 3% was 100% government funding and government <laughs> subsidies on prime interest rate and really stimulating the growth in the real estate market. And when you, if, you, if you think about what we're saying here, that's artificial growth. That's artificial stimulation. It's buying down the payment plan so that somebody can buy more. And now that we're not buying down that payment plan to, to have somebody buy more, that's where I think the, the beginnings of this crisis are going to come from. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. But Thank you're in good shape, man. If you bought at 2.5%, the, the person who's buying the house next door to you is paying double for the same house. Right, right, right. Okay, cool. Appreciate you some for you. Yeah, good yeah. question. And thanks, Alex. Good to see you again, Lloyd. Cool. Um, any other questions? Oh, cool. In that case- Anyone uh, want to throw darts? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, uh, Aaron, did you come up hits? Thanks, bud. Oh, she was raising her hand to throw a dart. She's in for a dart. Yeah, She's I, I'm used to it. <laughs> I had so many darts thrown at me. If you're getting out of the real estate market, where are you putting that capital or redistributing it to? And from all these sales of the equity that you have, I'm stacking cash. You're stacking cash. Hundred percent. You're not investing into other. Areas. We have we have other investments. I think not real estate. Not real estate. Completely we're, not, we're not putting more into real estate. We're, we're definitely stacking cash. Um, 
we I've been in the crypto market since 2012. So I'm still very heavy in the crypto market and and have ridiculous equity there. I think um, over the course of the next year, we're going to see some some serious moves in the crypto market. I think with the halving in April of next year for Bitcoin, that value is going to go up. I don't play with all of the other coins. I, I'm primarily in Bitcoin. Uh, but as far as investment right now, we're putting cash together. And I know everybody makes the argument that if you hold your money in cash, that you know you you have any you're you're losing money because you're holding in cash and the value of the dollar is going down. What I also know is if there's a crisis, having a big pile of cash is like the most important thing to have. We had that when we restarted buying in 2011, and that's why we've been able to make millions of dollars in the market. So you're not worried about the mark the real estate market collapsing, which then means the banks are going to have struggles as well, and you might lose your cash. Dear, you're 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 not worried that the government's going to He's got in bars of gold in his closet. There's the debates are going to go under on you. There's ways to protect yourself with FDIC protection. So, um, if that's what you're asking, like as far as banks collapsing, yeah. So there's there's a there's a bank in um, Chicago called Barrington Bank where I think you can get up to seven, six or seven million in FDIC protection per account title because they spread it over different banks that they have. So if you go and open up multiple banks with Barrington, you can get a ton of money insured FDIC. And it's not just Barrington. There's other banks that do the same. And so our money's secure as far as FDIC protection goes. Uh, I think for most people, they're worried about you know deflation of the dollar and, and losing value that way. I'm not worried about it going away. We're protected. Thank you. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Great questions. Yeah, right, guys. Question. Yeah, um, guys. Thank you once again, Alex. Thank you so much for coming in, and that's it from us at Smart Businesses. Do this. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over ten thousand people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.